0: It was 2004, and I was working a side job fixing a computer in in the Joliet area. And Sherry was grocery shopping uh, with Allison, who was five, and Mattiella, who I call Half Pint, uh, who was three. They're coming home from Plano. We lived in Millbrook, Illinois at the time. So as they got home, Sherry brought the groceries in and uh, started putting them away. And about 10 minutes later, she realized that Maddie was nowhere to be found. She couldn't locate her, and, and so she started looking all over, and Allie and her were doing that. But about after about 10 more minutes, Sherry decided to call me. She said, Phil, I, I have no idea where Maddie is. We got home about 20 minutes ago. We're looking for her. We're yelling out her name. And, and we can't find her. If it was Allie, we'd find her immediately because she'd be super loud. But Maddie was quiet. She's very quiet and couldn't find her at all. I gave Sherry some suggestions of, hey, why don't you, you're, you guys are going to find her. Just give me a call back. She calls back 10 more minutes. So now it's a half hour, and she says, we can't find her, Phil. I said, look at your mom's, look in the swimming pool. We had a swimming pool. You know, obviously you want to look there. I gave her some other thoughts. Said, call me back. She calls me back, in about five minutes after that, this time, this time she's scared. She's panicked. Because, you see, Maddie had, or still has, an American girl doll that she carried everywhere with her, named Khaki. And Khaki was laying by the front door, away just by itself. And so Sherry started thinking in her head, what if somebody followed them home from Walmart, opened the door, and grabbed Maddie? And Maddie, you know, in the rush of things, let go of of her American Girl down. So there was true panic. She's like, can you come home? So I was in the Joliet area, like I said, and and so I went down and told my client I, I got to go, and I drove home, maybe breaking some of the posted laws, getting home, and I, and I thought to myself, how can I help without even being there? And so I started, I, I grabbed my phone, flip phone back then, Nextel, it was beautiful. <laughs> some of you guys are connecting with that. And... and and I started dialing every number I knew of, of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I called them and said, hey, can you pray? We can't find Maddie. It's been 45 minutes, so on and so forth. And, and then I decided I'll, I'll call my dad. And I called my dad and explained the situation. And, and he said, okay, I'm in the car. I'm driving to Silver Springs. Silver Springs is about five, five minutes from our house in Millbrook when we lived there. And, and he said, most perpetrators will... If there's an abduction, they'll go within five miles of where they abducted the child. And, and so that freaked me out. And so I'm racing home. And as I come up to the stop sign, so we have a stop sign in Millbrook as you're coming up just past Winding Creek, if I'm connecting with any of you. And, and, and you look at that stop sign, and you look to the left, and you see the bank, and then you see three houses, and we're the third house, right next door to Sherry's mother's house. And when, I, when I'm coming up to that stop sign, barely stopping, I see what to me is the entire town of Millbrook walking around, which is really freaky to see. It's a beautiful day out. But everybody's walking around looking like in bushes and looking. There's a little wooded area, and they're looking for Maddie. And so I zip over, and I zip right, and, and we had a, like a little downhill driveway that was gravel, and I literally slid into the driveway, and Sherry's in the front lawn, Do you remember that? She's in the front lawn, and she's crying, and, and pretty hysterical at this situation. It's been about an hour now, and we can't find Half Pint, and, and um, Allie's freaking out as well, and, and I walk and I walk in the house, I didn't, I didn't acknowledge Sherry, I didn't acknowledge Allie, I didn't have time for them at that moment. My only focus was, I got to find Maddie. I mean, look at her. I had to find her. And so I, I zipped through, I went straight to the basement, and I went and looked in the dryer, because that's where I'd hide when I was a kid. I'd go in the dryer all the time. And she wasn't in there. Then I looked behind a couple things, and then for whatever reason, I'm like, "What about my room under my bed?" And so I literally just ran past all kinds of people. And we have a king size bed. Still have the same bed. And, and and every 12 inches, there's a there's a 8 inch peg that sits underneath that screws into the bottom of the bed in order to hold, hold it up properly. And I, I went to the right side of the bed, and I looked under, and I felt like I saw something. And so I, I got under there, and I snuck under as, as much as I could, and all the way down in the middle, I could see a foot. And I reached in as far as I could, and I grabbed the foot, and I dragged little Mattiella out, still sleeping she fell asleep found out later she was playing hide-and-seek or something to that effect and so i got her in my arms and i'm cradling her and she's sleeping still in my arms has no idea what's going on and i walked past and your grandma uh johnson was up there was upstairs at that point and she's like oh praise the lord And I walk out, and as I'm walking to the front door, I see two uh, county, Kendall County police officers like doing what I did, skidding in, racing to get there. When you have a three-year-old missing from a town like Millbrook, it's a huge deal. Should be a huge deal wherever. And as I walked out that door holding Maddie, I, I could just see Sherry, who's still in the front lawn, hadn't moved just turned and looked at me, and then she started crying more. And she then grabbed Maddie. And the police officers, I remember, is that the girl? Yeah, yeah, you're good, you're good. And I didn't care about anybody except for our family at that moment. It's tough to lose somebody, isn't it? It, It's tough when you have a situation where someone's lost, because you're going to do anything. You'll do anything uh, to find them. You'll do anything... Uh, to rectify the situation, and, and it's a painful time. It, it, was, it was only for a, an hour to an hour and a half at the most. Thousands of things go through your head during that time. And, and you guys probably have some stories as well of, of losing someone or, or forgetting someone. But today I want to read about another story. Uh, Where a youngster is lost, or so his parents think, he's found to be safe and sound. So if you're able to, would you stand with me as I read Luke 2, 41 through 52? This is a story I've read probably a dozen times, if not more, and I've never spent time studying it. It's a a pretty profound piece of scripture. Verse 41, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his, his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this powerful, uh, these powerful words. Thank you for all of scripture. Uh, Please... Change us today as you have the ability to always with your word. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe see them. Well, before we go into talking about Jesus being left behind, let's talk about Luke a little. And why is this the only story? This is the only story in all of Scripture that talks about Jesus as a young man. Isn't that interesting to think about? That this is it. This is our only glimpse, with the exception of, obviously, his birth story. You see, Luke was a writer who put an extremely high premium on making sure eyewitnesses were included in his message, in all of his accounts. Look at the beginning of Luke. This is in Luke 1. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. You see, Luke knows that his reader needs to understand he knows his reader understands scripture old testament scripture as we call it now and luke uh wanted wanted to explain things uh we we heard earlier i i had the opportunity to preach about uh, zacharias and and elizabeth remember luke also he he affirmed the identity of the messiah whose forerunner would be their son john And the angel Gabriel identified who Jesus would be, Emmanuel, God with us. The angels in the field were talking to the shepherds who identified who he'd be. Joseph and Mary knew who he was and gave testimony. All of these things, eyewitness stuff. Luke is really building his case. He really wants to make a a thorough case. We even see that uh, Simeon and Anna, that their testimony is added to the rest. Again, eyewitnesses people who are involved and and who understand the scriptures of old, who are making a proclamation. And all these people are are there to solidify the validity of Jesus being the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Holy One, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Anointed One. And now we meet Jesus. He's with his earthly parents. And and, and Jesus is about to become a man. You, you, You see at the age of 12, it would be the final year of preparation. The final year of preparation before a young man uh, had, had to be uh, enter into full participation in the synagogue. This was the, his final year. Up until that time, his parents, especially Joseph, had been teaching him all the things that he needs to learn in order to become a, a strong man who follows the commandments of the law. In the 12th year the child goes through a ceremony. What's that ceremony called? Anyone know? Bar Mitzvah. Yeah, as we call it now. And that's referred to as the son of, of the commandment. That's what the Bar Mitzvah is. It's also important to note that Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, that they were law-abiding. They were following the law beautifully. And that's crucial to understand because you want to make sure that you're, uh, that... Luke wanted to make sure that Theophilus was, was knowing that the case for Jesus being killed later on wasn't because his parents weren't teaching him the law. This is, a, this is a, a great understanding of scripture here because they were teaching. They were following all the laws. So it wasn't because of that. It was because what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. Do You remember what Luke said in chapter 4? He talked about fulfilling the scripture in Isaiah. He said, today I am. That's huge. That's why everyone wanted to kill him, his own people, because he, w- he was claiming that he had fulfilled it. We see in Luke 2, 23, 24, and 39, how Mary and Joseph did all the Mosaic law required. And now we're going to see how Jesus how he also followed the law of Moses, and they loved it, and they studied it, and they obeyed it, always. Let's talk about Jesus being left behind. Jesus being left behind. This is your one help, kids. Left behind is the first one. Okay, good. (laughs) Luke chapter (laughs) 2. How do you keep going with that? Luke chapter 2, verses 43 through 45 and 48. This is what it says. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. We talked about this earlier. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. They began looking for him among the relatives. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Okay, so the journey that they took, it's about an 80-mile journey from Nazareth to uh, Jerusalem. 80 miles, uh, how they would probably go. So that would take about three to four days to travel there. And the question comes up is, how in the world could Jesus' parents not realize that Jesus wasn't with them? How could that be? Well, these people, they were traveling in a caravan, probably with a hundred plus people, with family and and friends. And as they were traveling, I'm sure Jesus' parents had other kids at this time. And so they were worried about the younger kids. And Jesus, who was a a great obedient son, uh, he was probably with his companions, with a group of the other kids similar in age according to the thoughts of Mary and Joseph. And they they had, most likely, some great faith in their son, Jesus, who was perfect. You see, Jesus wasn't like a normal child. He was obedient, and he was understanding, and he was compassionate. And he wasn't irresponsible. But his parents, they they may go an entire day without knowing where he was because as they were traveling, uh, they wouldn't have saw it. And they trusted that Jesus was, was where he was supposed to be. And probably as they stopped at night to set up camp, that's when it, when it happened. They realized that Jesus was nowhere to be found. And, and they were like Sherry and I. In a panic, I'm guessing. In an absolute panic, they, they didn't know where Jesus was. He was special. I wonder if Mary thought... What did we do? God gave me Jesus, and he's supposed to be God. And I've lost him, or, or, or I've left him somewhere, or he got captured. or she, I'm sure she was just panicked. A thousand things running through her head. I'm guessing she never dreamed that he was in the temple courts. We never dreamed Maddie was going to be under the bed. So as daylight broke, the family headed back, and I, I, I bet most of the group went with, because what they want to do is they want to protect themselves. That's why they traveled in caravans from any bandits, and, and, and so they probably all went back. So this is day two traveling back. Day one traveling to where where they realize at the camp. Day two as they're traveling back to Jerusalem, and and, and they're looking and and they're. When they arrived, it was probably dark again, so they couldn't look, and so they woke up in the, early in the morning as soon as sun broke, and they started searching for Jesus, turning up every rock, looking everywhere, looking at the playground, looking, looking wherever kids might be messing around, looking where kids might eat. But remember, there's tens of thousands of people that they're, they're firing through, they're looking through, and they're trying to find where in the world is Jesus. Maybe they looked where they set, set up camp previous, hoping Jesus was going to be there. And a lot of anxiety probably was being built up. And this was the third day. It kind of reminds me of uh, his crucifixion. Everybody else around was anxious and, and, and worried and, and kind of freaking out, except for Jesus. Because Jesus always knew where he needed to be, always. Joseph and Mary didn't understand this fact and they wanted their child to be safe in their arms. Imagine your growing sense of anxiousness, Alice, if you if you lost Dan when he was a young boy. That that would just well up in you and, and you'd be fearing what what might have happened. How many times have you been Worried sick about your child. Worried sick about him. And then when you find him, then you want to strangle him. When I was a eighth grader, my brother Mike, he's my oldest brother, he was 19 or 20 at the time, it was 1989. Mike said to me, and whatever Mike said was true from us kids, and Four, four boys in the family, I was number three, and so Mike said hey Phil, he woke me up early in the morning, one morning, six in the morning hey Phil I got a big surprise for you, I'm taking you to great America and that was the coolest thing in the world and, and, and so he said you, you just have to go get the keys in mom's, mom and dad's room and, and, and don't wake them up, they don't want to be woke up this morning, they want to sleep in remember Mike knew everything And so I snuck in their room and grabbed the keys to the big old conversion van and and snuck back out of the room, didn't wake them up perfectly, and we left. Well, unbeknownst to me, remember, there's no cell phones, really. Uh, Some rich people, as we call them, uh, had cell phones back at that time. But there really wasn't anything to communicate except for pay phones, and so my parents woke up and they saw the van was gone. And my dad was going to call 911. It was an emergency situation. Someone stole the van. Then they realized that Mike and their eighth grade son, Phil, were gone. And they had no idea where we were at. And I'm sure my dad was, he, he always worried about everything. I'm sure he was worried sick. But as we pulled in at 9 o'clock at night, I'm sure they were super excited to see the van and us. And they wanted to kill us, too, probably. They weren't too happy with me. I got grounded. My brother didn't get grounded. I don't know how I did. Maybe he was too old or something. But they were worried sick. But at that moment, they finally saw us. Then they were mad, right? And that's what, that happens all the time. You're worried sick about something, but then, man, I can't believe you did that. Because you're happy they're safe, but. So, so in this scene, Jesus' mother comes back, and she scolds him. Well, kind of, maybe gently, in front of the other teachers. And her words are attended, I believe, as a rebuke which is interesting to think about. I think at this moment, Mary forgot about everything else she was told about her son Jesus. You you, you do that, I'm sure, as a a mother. You're you're so focused on the situation. And, And all the strange and wonderful things that we see earlier in Scripture, where she treasured it in her heart, all of that was gone just for a moment. And she probably said, how could you have done this to us, Jesus? Your father and I, we've been worried sick. We've been worried sick. Let's shift to the perspective of Jesus, and then we'll come back. You see, during these extended days, the three days that he was away from his parents, he was learning from others. He was learning from others. Luke 2:46 through 47 say after 3 days they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking these them questions everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers How in the world can Jesus Christ the savior of the world the great I am how could he learn from others How could Jesus learn from others? Uh, That doesn't make sense. How could the Savior, God Almighty, learn from others? One of the first scriptures that I really studied with Pastor Jeff Swanson was Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. And, And here's part of those verses. So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same joy, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look into only his own interest, but also into the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ emptied. He emptied himself of omniscience. You know what omniscience is? All-knowing eternal and infinite knowledge. As we read through the scripture, you can almost think that Jesus right here is is mocking the teachers. He's like trying to trick them. I'm going to ask you some questions, and let's see if you can answer these. But I don't think that's true, because verse 52 says, he increased in wisdom. Jesus actually increased in wisdom. That's amazing to think about. You see, Jesus wanted to learn. He wanted to learn. And these verses show us that Jesus as a 12-year-old, and it demonstrates that he was trained well in the Scriptures. We we know that he was trained well in the Scriptures at this point, and he knows the Word of God. In typical tradition, a child would, would be taught by his mother. As soon as he could speak, as soon as he could speak, he'd be taught by his mother when he got to the age of five or six the father would start teaching him and he would start taking them through uh psalm uh, 113 through 118 or, or or psalm 120 through 134 where, where they'd really under start understanding those and he would he would start memorizing the nine books first nine books of leviticus man we need to start that don't we Reggie, we'll get started today, okay? First nine books of Leviticus. You see, they, they, were, they were taught deeply, not only at home, but when they would go to school, the only book they would use were the scrolls of the scriptures until they were at least ten. That was their only text. We could really learn from that. We can learn a lot just by using scripture. And Jesus, what, what, what's happening here? is that Jesus, he wants to take his learning to the next level. His father, his earthly father, has taken him so far. But now he needs to go to a different level. Uh, he he, he asks, stays and he asks questions. He listens and asks more questions. And, and we can even deduct that they were amazed by the answers that he was providing and the questions. I think we can learn from this. I think we can learn... What Jesus is doing. We could always learn everything from Jesus, can't we? And and, and we can learn from this. First, as parents, as parents, we have to realize that there's a time to allow our children to learn from others. That's what the the body of Christ is all about. That's what it's all about. I remember a time, I remember a time when Allie. Had a big situation, a big. We we were trying to have a big discussion about something when she was a fifth grader, and and we're we're trying to make make a decision. We're talking with her, and she wasn't receptive to our conversation. She didn't want to listen to it. The next day, she talks with the youth pastor, and she approaches us. We didn't know she was talking to the youth pastor. She approaches us like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that that situation's all taken care of." What? Well, her and the youth pastor, it it was just a different perspective, apparently. Well, it was at that moment that I grew as a parent. Because I understood that I can't do everything. I can't do it all. I can't teach her everything. She doesn't hear it in the right way sometimes from her dad or her mom. And it's, Sherry and I always say, it takes a village to raise your children. Perfect. Village Bible Church. And and we are firm believers that it takes a lot of people with a lot of different perspectives to help teach and train our children. And that's what we're seeing here with Jesus, that he's now going to the next level with with other people. We want to keep our kids safe. We want to keep them uh, in a bubble. But we have to allow other influences to sneak in. Second, as students, Jesus was a student here, and we need to be willing to close our mouths long enough. Close our mouths long enough to listen. And that's hard to do because we have all the answers. We think. But we need to listen. We need to to take it in, and we need to ask questions and be willing to learn from others who have gone before us. And we need to be persistent. And I think that some of us aren't persistent, and we don't want to be persistent on knowing what God's Word really is saying and understanding how it's all put together. We're content with with Pastor Phil and Pastor Dave just sharing God's Word, and that's good enough for us. Because we don't want to dig in ourselves, and we don't want to learn it and understand because it's too difficult to understand. I wonder what Jesus was asking about. You think he was asking about the Passover? It was the Passover festival. You think Jesus was asking the teachers more clarification on the Passover? Did he understand that the Passover was all about him? That's a profound thing to think about. See, even though Jesus' dad was able to teach and train him about a lot of things, the teachers in the court they can answer Jesus in a more academic way and a more objective way. Because maybe maybe Joseph did have an understanding of the Passover, and he knew that his son was going to die. That would be a hard thing to tell your kid, but these teachers could do it more objectively. Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to dig into Scripture and to tackle things with great zeal. Before we dig into our final point, I thought a, a, a bit of trivia. Did you know that this is the only point in all of Scripture, in all the Gospels, where Jesus is the learner? This is the only time where they use the the Greek word for a learner. The rest of the time, he's a what? He's a teacher. The rest of the time he's a teacher and this is the only point in scripture that's profound let's read uh the the final point we see that jesus was letting his parents know who he was he was letting his parents know who he was let's read it from the passage luke two forty eight through 50 when his parents saw him they were astonished his mother said to him son why have you treated us like this your father and i have been anxiously searching for you and Jesus said, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. <laughs> that last verse is very similar to what he says to the disciples later on. It, Luke, Luke identifies that in, in eighteen, Luke 18, 34. He, he says the disciples, had, they just don't know. They don't understand the teachings that Jesus was doing. Sometimes we forget we don't understand what Jesus is saying. But let's go over the scene one more time. Let me let me paint the picture for you uh and, and then we'll we'll understand this a little bit more. Joseph and Mary, they're running all over Jerusalem looking for Jesus, turning uh looking everywhere. And, and they can't find him in any of the locations. And maybe by chance or or, or, or maybe as a last resort, they look at the temple courts where the teachers are explaining the scriptures. And they finally see him. Maybe they see him from afar. And they run to him and they're amazed and astonished and probably annoyed. Scripture doesn't say that word. Maybe they were annoyed that Jesus isn't panicked like them. I'm guessing Sherry and I would be annoyed at that. If we were looking for our kid for three days, basically, and they weren't panicked, they were all good with it. Instead, he's in a deep discussion, mostly listening to teachers. Maybe Jesus looks over. Maybe Jesus and Mary, maybe they make eye contact. And and, and Jesus, maybe, maybe he smiles as if to say, Hey, Mom! Look, I'm learning from these guys, like super excited. And Jesus was there, and he he knew what he needed to be, but his mama wasn't happy, and his mama could you could tell that from the way she expressed her anxiousness. And these are the first and only words that we get a glimpse into in Jesus' first thirty years. The only time in thirty years we hear words from Jesus that are recorded in scripture. And he calmly and he rightly responds to his mom, why were you searching for me? Do you think a response like that would get a mom excited? If you're looking for your kid all over, and like, why are you searching for me? I don't know if he did one of those shoulders and hands out. The mom would probably say, why am I searching for you? Why am I searching for you? Are you kidding me? We've been worried sick. Jesus then says something even more profound. Remember Mary said that your father and I have been searching for you. Now here's Jesus' response. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Did you catch that? You see, Jesus is telling his earthly mother that he needed to be in his father's house. In other words, Jesus has chosen this crucial stage right here to explain that no longer is his home in Nazareth. This is a crucial thing that he's telling his parents right here. He's saying, My father's house is not in Nazareth. My father's house is right here. That's crucial because he's saying, My father is God Almighty. Whether, whether he just came to that understanding, or, or he's just now revealing it. I mean, that that's amazing. He's basically telling his earthly mom, Mary. He's saying. I know my mission, and my mission is here. He's, a, he's establishing his true identity. The, the entire text is about that. It, it, it's about that. In other words, Jesus said, you should have come here first. Just come here. If I'm not with you, I'm in my Father's house. And these are some of the most profound things spoken here in, in crucial verses. And Joseph Mary, you see, they knew Jesus intimately. Most likely, they spent 20-plus hours with Jesus every single day in their, in their home, in their area where Jesus was, was helping out, where he was learning from his dad. You see, Jesus acted perfectly. He always fulfilled the fifth commandment. What's the fifth commandment? Any kid know that? Yeah, good, Allie, good. Obey your, your mother and father. And his parents knew that Mary was, was a virgin, and that she gave birth to their child. They knew about the angel proclaiming it and what Zechariah and Elizabeth told them. They knew that their son was the Messiah. They understood all those things. And they knew he was truly God, yet they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They didn't understand it. When I tell you that Jesus came into the world, when he came into the world and he was perfect as a kid, he was perfect as a young adult. He was perfect as a man. And that Jesus went to a cross and he, and he was killed brutally for your sins and for mine. And then three days later, he, he, he was raised from the dead so he could defeat death for us. When I tell you those things, Do you believe me? Do your neighbors believe those things? Even though the gospel, the good news, it seems so simple. Such a simple thing. It is so profound. It is so profound. And as you and I learn more about Jesus and more about Scripture, it actually becomes more profound. In these verses, Jesus reminds his earthly parents and reminds us that he is God. God. And that the entire purpose is to fulfill scriptures. That's the entire purpose. Verse 51 talks about him going down to Nazareth and obeying his parents. As a a good child, you see his decision to stay in Jerusalem, his response and his reaction to his mother, and his obedience to follow his family home, they were all absolutely perfect. Jesus did not sin. Later on in Luke, if you remember, a woman yelled out, Blessed is, is, is the woman that birthed you and, and, and you were able to uh, uh, be fed from. And Blessed is her. She's, she's really giving praise to, man, you're a good boy. You're a really good boy. You love the Lord, and, and you're doing good stuff. But anyone remember what Jesus What he said to that lady, and he said to the whole crowd in response to that, he wanted to lower his earthly mom. He wanted to lower her to make her, she wasn't lifted up above anyone else. He said, you know what? Actually, blessed is the people who hear my words and obey them. Blessed is he who hears my words and obeys them. Do you hear God's words? And Do you obey them? Do you serve the King of Kings with everything that you have? Are, are you waiting until New Year's to change your life? Not just your diet, your exercise. Are, are, are you serving God today the way you want to serve God, the way he wants you to serve God. You could do it today. You can serve Jesus today. Don't wait until the new year. Start honoring him right now. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for your word, and we're thankful that it's sharper than any two-edged sword and that it could affect our lives and it could change us and it can uh, affect us every single day. I'm thankful for the example of Jesus always that you have all, you allowed your son to be fully man and fully God. We don't understand all the things, God. We don't understand all the, the profound things that He was able to do, and he did. We do ask that you continue to teach us, though, God. Continue to to help us to understand you more and to understand your word more. Uh, Help us to have the zeal to dig into your word and to want to know more about you today, on December 27th. That we want to know more about you today Than we've ever known. Help us to that our speech is clear and concise and and, and honoring to you, with our family, and with our friends, and with our children. Let us teach our children and raise them in ways that you desire, that they will know you and that they'll know your scriptures and that they'll want to obey you. We do love you, Jesus, and we're so thankful for your sacrifice. We're thankful for your birth and the celebration of Christmas. We're thankful for new year, a new year that we are reminded that there are fresh beginnings. And that's the beauty of, of Scripture and the Gospel. The good news is that when we give our life to you, we have a new start. A brand new body, a brand new life. We're thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.